what about if I be super chilled, come out to Backstreet Boys and just have a good time with it sort of thing. And it sort of works because I guess I won, but I also ran into a head kick in like in 10, 10 seconds, seconds and then got kneed and got split and forgot my name at hospital and shit like that. G'day, g'day. Welcome back to another episode of A Lot To Talk About. It is your boy, the captain of the ship, the man in charge, Bradley J. Drybra. Of course, you can call me Brad, and I'm excited to be here today. This is round two with one of our very early original guests from like maybe the first three or so months of the podcast's existence, and we're nearly at two years now. So um, it's always nice to have someone back to welcome them back in. And this time, not over Zoom, face-to-face mm-hmm. in, the, in the HQ, the studio. So for those of you who checked out the first episode with Colby Thickness, you'd know this guy well, you'd know his story. But for those of you who didn't, I'm going to give him the intro he deserves. So we're talking pro MMA fighter. One of the coaches of the Volkanovsky camp <laughs> and the ultimate fighter. He was in Vegas, baby. He is just an athlete through and through. Not just a fighter, but a man who can run... A man who gets after it. He's all about that. Ladies and gentlemen, from your home, your car, or wherever you are, give a very warm welcome to the one, the only, Mr. Colby, Golden Boy Thickness. How are you, brother? Very good, my man. Another you... great intro, my friend. Another Absolutely great intro. It. To be fair, that, that one was a little shorter and sharper because we actually started <laughs> recording like 40-odd minutes ago, but the camera was playing games. It didn't want... It didn't want to be here. It forgot its invitation to the party. It turned itself off. Too many off knowledge and, bombs, I think. Yeah. And, you know, when you're good looking lads like yeah. us, I'm like, you want the camera on. <laughs> you want the camera on. So, no, it's a, it's a pleasure to have you here, bro. We'll, um, we'll go across some of the stuff that we spoke yep. about in, mm-hmm. our, in our warm-up, yeah, our for sure. intro. But always fascinated by what you're doing, not just in the cage, but out of it. Yep. You're one of those guys who lives and breathes performance. Mm-hmm lives and breathes you know getting after it and you're just across the board like you're not just fighting you're running you're working on your breathing you're eating really meticulously you got a dietitian which we'll talk about a little bit too but you know what's life look like at the moment life's pretty good at the moment man to be honest like obviously we're just coming over sort of end of this sort of covid wave so things are finally getting back to normal Mm -hmm. but perfect example of what you said is like this morning i ended up doing hot colds and that sort of thing so i got a little portable sauna tent at my house so i ended up doing yeah did i think 30 minutes straight in that just cranked up to the hottest which is like it's like what i do is i get it super hot put a towel over it let it heat Mm -hmm. up for like 20 so minutes and jump in and just sort of not in a bad way, but almost just try and like cook myself sort of thing. Like obviously like mm. all I need to do is unzip the thing and I'm you're fresh. I've got water next to me. Like I'm drinking during that. But it's a good mental challenge because there's so many times and I think a sauna is just a perfect example is where you're doing something that's at the start, it's irritating. You're hot, you're uncomfortable and you're sweaty. You're like, oh, it sucks but I get through. But then you hit a certain point and you're like, Man, this is starts to like your heart starts beating a bit. Like, oh, okay, this is pretty uncomfortable, and that's the sort of thing I really like. Where it's like where that gets uncomfortable, and most people are like, ah, oh, okay, I've it's good, I've done enough here, I've got to this point where I want to go. As soon yeah. as I hit that point, I think that's where like a lot of the benefits and a lot of the real challenges comes. Because like, what was it? Ali had a quote where he doesn't start counting the sit ups until they start to hurt, sort yeah. of thing. I think that's a perfect way to sort of approach anything in his life if you try and do everything the same as sort of 
everybody else, you're just going to get the same results. So if you want sort of um, sure. exceptional and sort of really high accolades and accomplishments, you be you need to be willing to put in the extra work and everything that's going to sort of make them goals and you're going to smash some little goals and then little goals will turn into the big wins. Yeah, for sure. Talk to me about the mechanics of the sauna tent. How does yeah. that work? Um, so what happened was when I was in Vegas for a second time, uh, at the, cause it was COVID, we weren't allowed access to public saunas for boys to cut weight. And they had these little sort of sauna tent things almost. And I was like trying to Geordie, my dietitian. I was like, what are they? It's like the sauna tent. Bit of a funny story. I was like, oh yeah, sweet. So we had the boys rolling in that and I ended up jumping in it sort of thing. I sat in just my undies for 30 minutes and Geordie was like, it's like, you're doing all right in there. I'm like, man, I can't feel a thing, eh? Like, I don't think he's that good. He comes over, he's like, it's not even fucking on. So that, so that was my very first experience. Yeah, like, it's, just in, it's just hot in Vegas, bro. Yeah, I was like, it's naturally like, I think I was even sweating a little bit because of a humid room, super yeah. hot. But I was like, oh, I wouldn't really think of it. Then I turned it on. I was like, oh, wow. And then when I was overseas, I was like, I asked him, I was like, man, these things would be good for like, it's called, I always stuff it up. I think it's heat acclimatization or something whereas basically make sure more efficient sweater like you jump in you start to sweat straight away you sweat out less electrolytes and you sort of you feel better while you're doing it sort mm. of thing and uh, it's cool because in um ultra running and like guys is it that moab 240 where it's through the desert and yes. all that sort of stuff they do a lot of this sort of stuff too but they do it more with the actual running and that sort of thing because it was sort of okay. a bit um not it was sort of there wasn't a lot of science behind it before but now it's starting to come out that they can see the benefits in it i firsthand can straight up say like there's been times where if i haven't done it for ages i hop in a sauna takes me like five to seven minutes to break a sweat 20 minutes in i'm dying i'm cooking like this morning i jumped in i break a sweat within like 35 seconds sort of thing and i did 30 minutes pretty comfortably sort of thing straight sort of thing and it just has a lot of benefits and it's like even um translates over to the performance side so it's just a little another sort of one percenter that you can add and it's not just for like fighting or anything i think it's great because if you're a more efficient sweater if you're out running for example on a super hot day or something what's the worst part sometimes like for dehydration like oh man i'm not used to this heat whereas if you can get super customized to that sort of heat and not you're obviously never going to be sort of obviously you're going to probably feel a little bit better if it was at cooler degrees but you're going to be a lot more comfortable if you can actually get used to sort of operating them higher sort of uncomfortable temperature zones get yourself familiar there for sure so how does it does it run through electricity yeah so i haven't checked mum or dad's power bill but i just plug it into the wall and just heat it up so it might it yeah Yeah. it's got like hopefully they haven't checked yeah (laughs) it's got um three panels on it so two side panels one at the back it comes in this like really dingy chair which is it sounds good in theory, but I had to chuck it out because the sweat in that it broke in like two weeks. So now I just got I just got a cheap ass milk crate and I just put a towel on top and then I yeah. preheat it for twenty minutes max temp. Jump if it in, ain't broke, don't fix it. Exactly eh? right. Jump on my milk crate, chuck a towel around my neck, and then it's got um it's awesome. It has like things that you can put your hands through. So I even just get my um chuck one hand out and I normally like I normally watch anime on it. But I'm up to yeah. date on everything, so I can't do that anymore. So yeah. now I'm just like scrolling Instagram, like watching YouTube clips or something. Catch up on shit. Yeah. Is it um? Is it made out of like plastic or something? Um, what is it made out of? It looks like it's made out of um, almost like a 
tinfoil sort of thing, but it's not. It's like it's really hard. Like to almost explain. like a canvas or something. Yeah, almost like a steam tent sort of situation okay. thing. Like it's weird. Like obviously you have to have you have to have either towel underneath it, and then mm. so it doesn't seep through the bottom sort of thing. It goes into the towel, yeah. and after every use, you got to like take it out, put in the sun. I always use like eucalyptus out. and everything like that to clean it sort of thing. But man, like I used to end up having to go to Kaima Ledger Center like two or three times a week. Yeah. I paid like 150 bucks for this thing. I can use it every day. It's ready in like 20 minutes. Like you can legit wake up, set it, have your brekkie, jump in your sauna and in like comfort in your home. Like Bro, it's unbeatable. You don't have to go to Kaima Ledger Center and look at some old dude's fucking balls. Oh, exactly right. Yeah. I'm like, sounds like a fucking win to me. And also, if anybody's been in a sauna, there's always some people that come in for two minutes. Like, I'm, I when I sauna, especially if I want to go, like, my goal is I'll, I almost treat it like a workout. Like, I'm going to go hard. I'm going to push myself with it. And I remember there was this one time where I was like 25 minutes in or something, and I was going for 40 minutes straight. Because in the bigger public saunas, it's actually a lot easier to do than in the little sauna tents because yeah, sure. it's not as condensed heat. And I remember I was like 25 minutes in, about two weeks out from a fight, and my mate was in there with me. And then this um, old bloke comes in, just gives us a yarn. He's like, oh, do you mind if I put some more water on? I was like, no, nah, go for it, man. i got like 15 minutes going here. He gets a bucket, tips like half this bucket, and I'm like... Man, it's going to be hot. And, like, I don't mind if people come in and make it hot, but at least, like, sit in and, like, suffer with me. He chucked it on, and about 35 seconds later, it came up in the corner. It got to him. He's like, nah, stood up and went straight out, and I didn't see him again. And I was like, And probably peeve. the opening of the door every life. Oh, man, that's another like, thing Like, if you've got sucks. people moving yep. in and out, a bit of heat escapes, especially yep. if it's a nice temp for you. Yeah. But you touched on it there before, the benefit of it, and I think... It's always with the hot and cold therapy, it's always like people are always arguing about how much benefit there truly is. Mm-hmm. I think there's just benefit with like the mental fortitude oh, yeah. of being able to outlast something that's a little bit uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And that translates so well to sport, it translates well to business. Whatever yeah. you do, if you've got that little bit of mental fortitude, like for me, I love the cold. Yep. And I haven't been in too many saunas. Like I've I've saunered once or twice. Mm-hmm. Um, found it. Where was the last time I sauntered? Last sauna I done was um. God, I can't even remember now. Yeah. And it was actually, to be honest, probably the last real hot thing I've done is like hot yoga. Mm-hmm. And like you, you walk into the room, and it's yeah. like the first couple minutes, you're like <gasps> struggling to breathe. Like, the air's hot. You notice like mm-hmm. it feels the air feels really thick. It's almost like you're breathing through a straw. You notice your body's like heart rate increases and you're a little bit like, oh, fuck, I'm in fight or flight mode here. And you start to notice that you get comfortable. And then all of a sudden you start walking into that room after, you know, week on week and it's just easier. It feels normal. Same for me with like the ice for the cold where I particularly like practice that every day. So for probably three years now, I've been cold showering. Yeah, nice. Every morning a cold shower, every night a cold shower. Mm -hmm. Like every day I get in the ocean, bar maybe one day a week mm-hmm. if for something, some reason I've got something on. And I love getting in an ice bath. Mm. And I feel almost at home in the cold now. But it's been a while. And I was saying to a couple of the boys, man, we've got to seek an ice bath out in this next week. And it's funny, you're wearing the Talk To Me Bro shirt. Yeah. Um, the crew's been getting after ice I've seen it, yeah, it's awesome, eh? So I think this week I'll, I'll pencil that in. Yeah, nice. Might even get up a little bit earlier, get a run in, and then go jump in the ice baths. Yeah. Well, there's, there's, I don't, I, this is a book or something, but it talks about like that flinch response before you do something that's uncomfortable. Mm. And it's no better way, like, how easy is it, like, 
Anybody can you can go home and try us to like people listen. Like you can legit go home and for your normal shower, all I want you to do is you don't even have to have a cold shower, but I just want you to turn on the cold tap all the way, not the hot, and then just go. And like you almost most people probably go and they're gonna flinch to stop. And I think that's where like the most it's what you do after that flinch response happens. Like same thing, jump in a hot sauna, you're like ah. Oh. Yeah. Nothing is as bad as that sort of initial exposure. Like, what's the worst part of a cold shower? Is that first three seconds when it's down the front of your face, the back of your neck. After that, it's blissful. It's enjoyable. It's crazy as it sounds. It's funny you say this. I've been listening. I've just started listening. Actually, yesterday, I'm, I'm an audio book in the morning guy at mm-hmm. the moment. So, like, I wake up 4.30 or 4.45. I throw an audio book on for an hour, hour and a half before I run. And or before I go for a walk or whatever I do. And, and yesterday I spent like the first hour and a half of the morning listening to Jordan Peterson's first book, 12 Rules for Life. Yeah. And he speaks about it in the first or second chapter of the book about anxiety. And he said, obviously I'm not going to go quote for quote here. When, you, when you're talking about a guy like Jordan Peterson, it's almost <laughs> impossible. His oh. vocabulary is insane. The words he uses, man, I have to like... Because I've read his first book and I'm halfway through his second book. And, like, mm. there's legit times that I spend almost, like, 10 minutes dissecting two pages. I'm like, okay, what does this mean? Oh, it Google. means it. And just trying to translate yeah. the way he speaks. Well, that's why I'm listening to the first. And I've got the second in hard copy. Mm-hmm. So I thought if I listen to the first, maybe I'm a little bit more acclimatized to his vocabulary come the yep. second book. Mm-hmm. But what I was getting to is he talks about anxiety and he speaks about how... For someone who suffers from anxiety when being in um, busy or social spaces, you know, if you're leaving your home to drive to the mall and you start to feel that anxiety build up, you know, you're going to be in the mall, there's a lot of people, it's confronting, you know, your anxiety is going to peak. If you turn around on your way there and you head back home, the reason you're having anxiety is your body has sent signals to you saying that this is a dangerous situation. I'm starting to flag you to let you know that you are going to be uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. If you listen to that impulse and you turn around and go home, your mind has almost now locked that in and said, the mall is a place of danger. Mm. Every time you try to head there, that anxiety is going to peak. Your stomach's going to start to churn. You're going to start to panic and breathe a little heavier. The heart rate elevates. He said, you need to make sure that you push and go into those spaces or places that give you that flinch or that anxiety because until you can do that you won't overcome it and I was listening to a few other things my sister pretty openly talks about her suffering from anxiety and she has like little panic attacks Mm -hmm. when she goes into those uncomfortable environments and she was saying she listened to this podcast I sent her the Huberman Labs podcast the other day and she found one on anxiety and some breath work to control it She's like, I started to feel anxious, use this breath work. I felt so calm and relaxed. And I think it's the same when you go into these uncomfortable situations. And this is me speaking as not an expert, but if you can find a way to breathe through it, to relax through it and get comfortable with the uncomfortable and almost comfortable with the inevitable struggle that comes through trying to achieve things and push Mm -hmm. into new territory, something that translates really well to life as a whole. And I think you just become a calmer and um, more ready human being. Yeah, definitely. Because a perfect example for that would be 
uh, say me before my last fight, whereas I used to be that type of person, whereas before a fight, I used to be, I used to not, obviously, but I used to not be like, it was hard to say, but you would almost say like a bad training partner before a fight sort of thing. Obviously, your fighters expected that, but I'd have so much nerves. Like, I remember this time I was pummeling with Joe against, like, a solid concrete war at Croatian Club in Punchbowl. And, like, because I was that anxious and I was just, like, going way too hard, like, smashed him against the concrete wall. And then it wasn't until my last fight where I was, like, sort of just got more comfortable with being in a situation. It wasn't so much... Um, uh, switch flicked and I'm like, oh, cool, I'm comfortable here now. It was more just... Doing all the training sessions, I'd almost try and put myself in the same mindset of what I'm doing before I'm going out into a fight. Like, because there's, we have, say, like a Wednesday morning, Thursday morning, and then Friday morning, or like three of like our super hard, like the spiders, the meat grinders, the lactic, like the sessions yeah. where I'm on an assault bike trying to kill myself, and I've got Joe yelling in my ear, like, it's not enough, sort of thing. Like, wait, it's breaking point session, sort of thing. And I always try to get. In the, like, it's funny because all my mates say, like, before my training sessions, especially if it's a hard one, I'm always, like, bipolar. Like, before it, I'm super switched on. I'm super in the zone. I'm not very chatty. I'm just like, okay, we're here just to get shit done sort of thing. Let's just get it done. Like, I don't really want to crack jokes or anything. Like, it's pretty serious. Like, it's going to hurt. It's going to suck. Yeah. But then as soon as I'm done, I'm like, oh, it's, like, totally your fork. Like, I'm happy. Everything back to being chatty and that. And I've sort of been able to take that sort of approach and do that to a fight. So now when I'm backstage, I've got a good balance now as I used to be super, steri- super serious. And then other times, I used to be too laid back. Perfect example where I was too laid back, speaking for me, where I felt personally, some people from the outside might not see it, but it was actually when the first night we met at Wollongong Wars and I was walking out to Backstreet Boys. Like, I think I was, because my... Was that my first fight since coming off a loss? It might have been my first fight coming back since a loss. And I was so amped up in Queensland that before the fight, I was like, okay, I'm like, maybe that's why it didn't go my way. I was too amped up. So I'm like, well, if amping up doesn't work, what about if I be super chilled, come out to Backstreet Boys and just have a good time with it sort of thing? And it sort of works because I guess I won, but I also ran into a head kick in like in 10, 10 seconds, seconds and then got kneed and got split and forgot my name at hospital and shit like that. So like it was a sort of a balancing act. And now I think I've found a happy place where it's like, the way I look at it is now is like, I could be chucked into a, I could get called today, be like, hey, no matter, like you're going to fight tomorrow night at this place and I can walk in, I can be just as calm now as if I had a full eight week preparation. And like, obviously the output that you're going to put in on a fight depending on how short the notice is not going to be the same but at least i can control my mental state and everything going in whereas i'm calm i'm relaxed i'm still cracking jokes get walked out i get more serious sort of thing i'm not gonna i always say like buy not buy but like yeah i'll see you after a fight to like family and friends as soon as i get to arena as soon as they're there and i'm back with a team i'm trying to sort of get in that zone and i think a lot of that stuff's just come just from even exposing myself to so many more uncomfortable situations because there's it's hard to explain but there's nothing really more not so much frightening but nerve-wracking than the first couple times you're out of back in the arena it's sort of full of say 20 fighters so 10 each team Mm. teams of people you see people coming back split busted open you hear people cracking pads there's a real sort of different energy in that in the air and it's fairly daunting that's why i see a lot of sort of amateur guys in that especially in the early few fights even pros they sort of 
they come out, they fire, they fire, and they drop. It's just that pure adrenaline dump. And it's just trying to find different ways to sort of um, manage that. And I think, like I said, with all this stuff like cold exposure, hot exposure, doing long runs, different breathing patterns, trying to put it all together to find what works for you. And I think I've found a sort of good recipe which sort of helps me keep that clear mental state throughout sort of thing. For sure. It's almost like the peaceful warrior, like prepared mm-hmm. but present in the moment, not caught up in the future, not caught up in the past, yeah. just ready. Talk to me about, you just touched on something there, the breathing. Mm-hmm. We've spoken a little bit about nasal breathing. It's something I've started to play around yep. with. It's very difficult at mm-hmm. first. It takes some, um, it almost takes, it takes a, a few times until you get comfortable with that panic Definitely. breath where you really want to open your mouth and just take a big gulp of air. Mm-hmm. Where did you start to become exposed to the idea of nasal breathing and when did you start to implement it? So again, it was lucky because, man, this baggage trip taught me a lot because even that with Geordie, he was real into the cold exposure and that. Like I, even before we did that trip, I would always, I wasn't comfortable in the cold, but I would get it done sort of thing. But it wasn't like, I remember I did an ice bath and I was like, man, I last like 30 seconds. And I was like, I could do it, but it wasn't enjoyable, it wasn't pleasant. I didn't get that good feeling after. I'm like, I just hated the whole experience sort of thing. And I was talking to Jordy, and he was telling me there's like all these benefits. And he's like, when you do the cold, because at the Performance Institute, they had a hot spa, a cold plunge, which is about like three or four degrees, and a sauna. Yeah. And he's like, and I jumped in the cold plunge, and first, first reaction, I was like, <gasps> almost make myself hyperventilate. And he's like, oh, how long do you go? I'm like, oh, 20 seconds, I'll kill it. He's like, he's like, jump in and just breathe through your nose. And I was like, oh, what's this fucking wishy-washy <laughs> bullshit sort of thing? Like, I don't know if I believe in that. And I jumped in and I was like, <sighs> and then I started breathing through my nose and I was like, 35 seconds, the longest I've ever done. I'm like, oh, I'm like, oh, straight on. I'm like, there's some legitness to this sort of thing. Then I was like, oh, can you like tell me more? He showed me like, there's a guy in New Zealand, Dave Wood, he, does, he works with all the city kickboxing boys and that. He does all like the breathing, the cold exposure and that sort of thing. Yep. And then it was just sort of trying to find little bits of information from different um, sort of avenues that can increase performance. Like we talked about the heat, getting used to the heat, that increases your performance in this way. This breathing increases your performance. Perfect example was my last long run I did. I did think 30Ks. And it was like at a 4.31 pace, I think. And Which is insane. Yeah. Anyone listening, ridiculous. And then I remember I finished my run and I was looking at the time and I was like 4 minutes 33 and I hit my distance and I was like, man, I'm like, I wonder if I can get that down to 4.30. And then so I was nasal breathing pretty much the whole thing. There was a couple of hills up Shohava and that, whereas what I do before I would sort of so I'd be nasal breathing the whole time, keeping a good baseline. Then as soon as I'd be about 100 meters out, I'd, go, I'd almost oversaturate myself with oxygen. And by the time I'm already halfway up, I'm back to nasal breathing. But because I'm sort of so amped, I've already elevated my heart rate up for the breathing. You just cruise up and you can keep the same pace mm. sort of thing. And then it was funny. I finished my last K, I think, at like just four minutes, something like almost 4.50 or something. It was pretty slow towards the end sort of thing. But then I was like, man, I wonder what I can do the last K. And I ended up sprinting like the last K after I did the whole distance, like three minutes, 52. It was like my fastest K by just straight. And I just went straight, big, long nose inhales, just like really deep breathing. And as soon as I, I finished that run, then I was like, man, there's got to be like, like, even though I'm doing it, I'm like, and I'm telling myself it's working. Like sometimes you can be a placebo effect or something, but I'm like, yeah. it's 
visually working for me. A perfect example now is when we're doing a salt, our lactic workouts, a minute on the assault bike, a minute on heavy bag, rinse and repeat for X amount of times. And it's pretty much, you're trying to hit as high a number as you can on the assault bike. And I used to do it, I used to go, two seconds in, I'm huffing and puffing out of my mouth, really breathing, really sort of overexpanding everything where I don't need to be because even though I'm putting out a really high input, there's no need for my body to be working that hard two seconds in. So now what I try and do is I try and hit the same numbers, say for like an RPM, I might try and hit at least a 90 RPM and then I try and breathe throughout and I try and stay at least nasal breathing or at least deep slow breathing for as long as I can. 30 seconds in, I'm just as sort of cooked like physically in that from it. But then when I can switch up my breathing pattern and I can like, oh, okay, now I can use my mouth. It almost gives you like an extra boost sort of thing because everybody's so used to, it's the first thing you're going to do if you get told to sprint 100 meters. You're going to really start, really short, shallow breathing sort of thing, which is good because it works that system. But when you have to sort of translate that for like a minute or per example, or fight intervals, like if you're breathing like this the whole fight you're gonna gash yourself out you need to be able to for sure match your breathing with the exercise intensity and i feel like it's something that breathwork has taught me to do as well as like same with like the anxiety or anything like that even sometimes when i get nerves like a couple weeks out from a fight i'll go down to the lake i'll just chuck like what is it binaural beats in sort of like yeah. the song sort of playlist and that listen to that then it's just box breathing like four in four hold, four out, rinse and repeat. You can do like four to six and just change the ratios like that. And I found like a good way that I got told from, it was an audiobook I think I was listening to, and they said the best thing about the breath is that it's something that's always with you. Like no matter what situation you're in, some chosen might have a phone, you might not have company, but if all you can do is sort of bring yourself back to breathing, getting comfortable in that situation, and really sort of... Um, find sort of that um familiarity in sort of uncomfortable situations for sure so the thing that fascinates me the most about the breathing is a mate of mine from down in adelaide kane rice he's a bit of a weapon like used to be like an endurance cyclist and had a bunch of accidents on the bike where he had sort of like blood clots okay heaps of shit going on he's just just like one of those guys, just some, like a real warrior, just fights through all these injuries and shit. And he done 45 days in a row of walking a marathon a day. Oof. So he's putting his body through some shit. And we were just talking about breathing. And, and he said to me, listen to this podcast with James, Nest, James Nestor. And he's a guy who focuses a lot mm-hmm. on the breath. And I tried it. I think it was the first time because see the thing is I don't run solo that often yeah I've always kind of got mates around so you it's hard because you're in conversation most of the time so I was like I've got this solo run I'm going to do 10 k's I'm going to try and nasal breathe for as long as I can Mm -hmm. and I managed to last the 10 k's which probably helped I'd been in the gym like for two weeks before just doing it in my gym workouts Mm -hmm. And it's hard and you want to panic breathe like when you start to get tired, but just trying to fight through it. And one of the things that Kane sort of explained to me and this James Nestor guy talks about is because of the, the structure of the nasal system, the way that the air has to travel to get in and out of the lungs, as opposed to it just coming straight up and out the mouth. It's a slower process to get in and to get out, which regulates and slows the heart rate. And I noticed that on the runs, I was nasal breathing. My heart rate was lower. Um, It was easier to control it. It wasn't as sporadic. And the thing that I noticed, which was probably the most notable thing as a whole, 
and I think this is just a little bit of common sense too, but my mouth wasn't dry. Yeah. So like I felt really relaxed and I didn't feel like I was dehydrated. And naturally, like when you're running for a long time, you want to drink heaps, but it's not, you're not always accessible to water yep. unless you're carrying a pack or a bottle. And I just felt so much better. So my thing was like every opportunity I get where I'm running solo or training solo now, just try to nasal breathe. And you feel good. And mm-hmm. it's, it's funny because we spoke a little bit before when we weren't recording um, about the, the essence of just human nature mm-hmm. and the prehistoric nature, my bad, the prehistoric nature of who we are at the core and who we yeah. are prehistorically. And the fact that we're so impressed with our ability to run, you know, 21 Ks, 42 Ks, yet it's so natural like and i think breath is the same thing Mm -hmm. we've become so comfortable in modern society with all the all the gadgets um the sedentary nature of our lifestyle the the comfort that we live within that we've forgotten that really at the core like the things that you used to have to think about were breathing yeah and controlling your natural state staying warm or staying cool Mm -hmm. depending on the climate hunting and eating and gathering and just staying alive just survival and really survival is just the essence of what life once was and everything was so natural like you'd run and hunt to eat food we we spoke about this program that i watched may have even spoken about it before on the podcast it's called boy to man made by an aussie director tim noonan and he would go into he'd go into these tribal communities who were living like they always had Mm -hmm. And the episode that I remember, I watched the whole series, about an eight-week series that was on Discovery Channel at the time. I reckon you could probably track it down if you, if you wanted to on YouTube or something. And the cool thing about it was he wasn't just going in as, as a director and a producer and just sitting back and watching this unfold. He was living like them. And so I still remember one ep, they like pierced his nose with a bull ring Ooh. and like done all this yep. crazy shit. But this one particular episode that stood out to me, he was with this Mayan tribe and they were from around the Amazon area. It was very hot, dry, desert-like. So it wasn't actually in the Amazon as such. It was sort of outside of that area, South America, wherever the Mayans, Mm -hmm. wherever the Mayans live. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? (laughs) And hot, dry days, very little access to food, these guys would go out in the morning and hunt boars. Like boars were pretty much the go-to food. And he was he was saying that this morning they've gone out, some of them barefoot, some with just like these handmade sandals on, and they ran for hours chasing this boar. And they had vision of them chasing this boar, and they're trying to spear it. And I think they'd run the equivalent of like somewhere between like 20 odd and 40 odd k's day by day when they track this but often days they wouldn't catch anything and they'd come back and sit and eat this like handful of corn i don't know i can't even remember what those corn kernels or whether it looks something along the lines of like popcorn okay yeah like it didn't even look like corn like we'd eat like it looked so minute and so low in calories that it really made me think We've become so comfortable in this life that we forget that like how simple human nature truly is Mm -hmm. and how little is actually needed to survive, but how much they thrive 
because they're really in touch with their body and, and what they need. And it's crazy that we've forgotten how important things like breath are, movement, mm-hmm. not being sedentary, like little things like sleeping out in natural light, you know, to regulate circadian rhythms. And something I've started doing recently is being a little bit more in tune with my morning routine. I was listening to a guy, Andrew Huberman, who spoke about, and he's like, for anyone who hasn't listened to Andrew Huberman, he's got a podcast called Huberman Labs. Absolute (laughs) genius. And just like so, so smart. He was talking about this basically in the morning when you wake the most important thing is getting out in natural sunlight early Mm because it regulates cortisol levels release of adenosine it allows your body to wake up Mm -hmm. just being out in in yellow light in the sun and he was speaking about the release of particularly adenosine and how caffeine blocks adenosine receptors and i was someone who would wake up at 4 30 to 4 45 every morning first thing i do go have a long black sort of get the system moving, mm-hmm. go out. Wake up that bit sort of thing, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And he was saying that a lot of people think pump all your caffeine early because it allows you to get a little bit rested sleep. and relaxed yep. at night. Mm-hmm. Like you sleep better. But he said actually like if you're pumping two or three coffees early, you're not giving yourself the ability to release adenosine yet. What happens is once caffeine detaches from receptors, which takes time, takes hours then adenosine spikes late in the day. Now your body's not actually in a sleeping state by the time it's supposed to sleep. Yeah. It's still waking, which means that you might go to sleep. You might get you know six, seven, eight hours. You're not actually rested. Yep. And it's so interesting to me because we forget that at the core, the way that we were designed, the life that we were supposed to live was waking up because the sun started to rise, not exactly because the right. alarm clock went yeah. off. Not because you had to get up and get to work for a meeting Mm -hmm. or because you had a late night the night before. It's kind of like you'd wake up with the sunrise, your body would start to chemically do what it's supposed to do because the signal of natural light, natural yellow light um, sort of goes to the neurotransmitters in your retina and says, wake up, release these chemicals. And likewise in the evening where your body recognizes it's been awake for, you know, 12 13 14 hours by the time the sun starts to set and the offset of that natural yellow light again is saying hey release melatonin to start to rest yeah and because we used to be outside and amongst nature for the waking and the sleeping this all just happened naturally but we've started to build all these comforts into our life that bring us so out of touch and that's my point um you know me Long story, long all the time. No, but it's Um, so true. I was going to say, because you make a great point there, because how often do you see people like, there's so many more people trying to do nature retreats than that, where they're trying to get back out of nature. People, how much more popular, I could only imagine how much more I say, even the term social media or detox or phone detox would have become over like the last 10 Mm. years, because 10 years ago, it wasn't too much of a problem because like, um, 10 years ago I would have been 12 and that my biggest problem was coming home from school and like play f- wrestling with my brother on my trampoline or doing something like taking it going for a skate yeah. ride to a park or something like that we see kids these days they come back they're just straight on the cell phones and stuff like that and it's really sort of disruptive and like it's crazy how it's thing- sad. it is definitely and like you were saying the sleep and wake and the breath work and the sleep it all 
comes in together because it's sort of like a funny story whereas I breathe through my nose now when I sleep but it was really hard because I got a um, derated septum from fighting it was sort of hard for me to learn so what I had to do I actually had to buy mouth tape so I brought tape my sister's partner Cal you know Cal (laughs) Cal was doing this too yeah and I remember I got tape and the it was like, it was in like, I just got this cheap one. I'm like, oh, it's tape. It's just going to take my mouth shut. So I was like, oh, this is like weird Chinese embroidery text and stuff on it. And then mum was in my, um, she was doing something and she came in my room and she like, she's like, oh, I found this. And it was like the packets with all the tapes and that in it. She's like, oh, what's that? I'm like, oh, it's my, um, my mouth tape so I can shut, so I don't have to breathe through my mouth when I sleep. And she just looks at me like I'm speaking a foreign language. She's like, what do you mean? And I'm like, oh yeah, it's not like common knowledge, but I'm like, it's actually like the benefits, like the benefits I saw probably the first week, I will say it was, I don't know if you found it too, but I found I was really sinusy for the first week. And apparently that's because when you do start to mainly nasal breathe, you sort of clear out all the like excess mucus and like sinus, which hasn't been cleared in there for mm. so long. It's just stuck there over years and years of build up and that. But like now I sleep perfectly like with my... um like nasal breathing same thing as you like I, first thing i do i wake up crank open my blinds no matter what time get outside get some sunlight straight away sort of thing then same thing it's like smash that water and sort of delay that coffee sort of thing like push back that coffee yeah. by 45 minutes to an hour like and oh yeah i was meant to say shit what i did actually as well which was sort of cool and made me realize like how stimulated we are of everything is i actually did a caffeine um, like a caffeine detox where I just pretty much quit caffeine for about how long was it it was I think I did three or four weeks straight and it wasn't too heavy sort of thing and the biggest thing I took from that though is that I needed to nap a lot more like that two o'clock that normal avo time where like if you have two coffees in the morning you might start to feel groggy like a bit tired yeah. around three or four you only got one or two more things to go through a day you get it done boom you can relax go to sleep sort of thing but I was finding around like probably yeah, between one and two, I was getting super tired and I was having to nap every day and that sort of thing. But after that week of coffee, like the dreams, like getting everything in um, touch with that, you can just sort of see how there's so many little things that can make a big difference to not just performance, but just everyday health and how people feel. For sure. But people miss it so much. Like, oh, I've got to do this keto diet, This all this bullshit. It's like... Get your breathing right, get some nutrition, get some sleep in, watch your caffeine and stuff like that. I feel like it's so... We can overcomplicate it so much. Oh, man, for sure. And I think, you know, if you're an athlete, like, and you're trying to maximize performance, yeah, you can start to break down all the the one percenters. Mm -hmm. But I say to people all the time, like, how complicated can it be? Yeah. Like, the one thing that I love, right, in... I was listening to this on a podcast the other day too and this guy said, I really feel for nutritionists because there is so much to break down. There's so many options. There's so many ways that you can apply nutritional science Mm -hmm. to get the best out of performance or the way that someone generally feels. And at the core, I think I've seen people flourish on vegan diets. I've seen people flourish on carnivore diets. I've seen people flourish on... Um, pescatarian diets or all these crave vertical diets there's Mm -hmm. so many different diets and nutritional principles if you look at every single one of them and you look at the underlying trait that i think makes them all successful and this is me speaking as someone with no nutritional background (laughs) or no degrees you know you won't see any phds or or mds next to my name but the thing that is consistent in each and every single one of those 
is Whole Foods. Mm-hmm. Whole Foods with a bare minimum of shit. Like a bare minimum of the shit that you buy off the shelf that's packaged up with chemical number, this, that, that, and the other. Mm-hmm. And that seems to me to be the simple science. Eat shit that grows out of the ground or runs around and, you know, eat shit that's either hunted or gathered and try to steer clear of the other stuff as much as possible. Get good sleep. And I think if you do all those things like 80%, you're going to be in pretty good stead. Definitely. going to be in pretty good stead. Like I speak to people all the time, say, how do you run 20Ks? And I'm like, well, I don't vape and I don't punch a pack of ciggies a day. Yeah. That fucking helps too. Rock on out Friday nights, getting pissed sort of thing. 100%. So feeling shit for Saturdays, feeling on the weekends and everything. Yeah, exactly. I think like there's general principles that can be applied to everyone's health and training that we just forget because it's so easy to overcomplicate. And it's also the overcomplication is a marketing tool. Oh, definitely. Like, people yeah. forget that. Like it's the, the e-books, the e-books of this influencer chick's new dietary principle yeah. or there's this one guy who pops up on my he pops up on my fucking insta feed all the time i think he's things called like vincenity shred or something some american dude okay and it's just the mo- he's like i eat pizza every night and here's how i'm ripped and i'm like <laughs> just rubbish eh? get the fuck out of my face dude because i don't care how ripped you are you can't feel good if you're eating shit every day no and it's like, that's the one pick I've got. To, I know a lot of people use it and have had great success. And I think all power to you if you've had great success and it works for you. Just do you. But the one pick I've got at any diet, and it's the diet that actually is the funnest. It's the if it fits your macros diet. Yeah. Because I'm like, yeah, it's, it's fun that you can have a donut. And I'm, fuck, if anyone knows me, I'm all for having a treat. And yeah. Little, you know, mm-hmm. little cheeky arm croissant here and there on <laughs> Sunday morning. You know. Quality, yeah. Like, I'm all for treating myself. But... There's like, to me, it's a no brainer that if your day is filled with 50% of protein foods and it's still, sorry, not protein foods, processed foods and it fits your macros as opposed to the human being who has the same macronutrient deficit or surplus Mm -hmm. or maintenance, but eats a hundred percent whole foods and know who's going to be healthier. Exactly right. To me, that's simple. So I think... It's really, and the issue with that diet is it's become so marketable because it's easier to convince the everyday human being that they can still have their ice cream and chocolate of a night and lose the weight. Yeah. It's not just about losing weight. We've become so obsessed with body image. We've forgotten about internal organ health. We've forgotten about, you know, like mental feeling health. of mental health. A hundred percent, bro. You couldn't have said it better. And that's my one pick with the diet and nutrition industry at the mm-hmm. moment is everything is for money. Exactly. That's the worst thing you see. Like, how many influencers that do you see where they have supplements they don't even care about, but they stick the ass out and they promote it because they get a ten percent discount code? And it was like you were saying with the whole foods versus processed foods. Like, there's even scientific, like something as simple as if I eat eighty percent processed, twenty percent whole versus twenty eighty the other way. Where's all my um, macro and my micros and where's my vitamins? Where's my minerals? Where's Mm. my fiber? Where's the basic sort of things that humans need to live sort of thing? Even things as simple as like they've did a, I don't don't want to say it because I might get it wrong, but I'm pretty sure I'm pretty confident in this one. But they did a study in that sort of thing where they um, 
What did they do? They got two, like a bunch of individuals and they got the same diets and they did, no, the same calories and they did one process and one non-process. And the whole foods ate the same, but they naturally lost more weight purely because they suffered from less cravings. Something as simple as the thermic effect of food, like eating protein. I think you burn like 20 or 30% of the calories you eat from consuming protein because your body has to digest it. And even things like digestion or even just hitting the correct um, fiber goals so you're full, you're satiated, getting your hydration up in that. Whereas like you said, they've tossed so much at you. They're like, this is all so confusing. Here's our way to do it. Have our way. I'm like, fix it. here's all of it, figure it out. Exactly right. Yeah, and, and that's the thing for me. It's I'm, I'm just trying to simpl- simplify shit now from, from my side. Mm-hmm. And I think it's it's looking at and just testing what, like, you know if you feel good or not. Yeah. You don't need someone to tell you if you feel good or not. You need, you can, you can take people's help, you can take people's assistance in your line of work mm-hmm. when you're cutting weight. You got, yep. like you said, you got the fire dietitian. And like to have that in your corner is just like unbelievable. But for the average day human being who just wants to feel good, mm. move a little bit better, you know, smile at themselves when they look back yeah. in the mirror, like just know how you feel. Like be honest with yourself. One of the mm. best things that could have happened to me is I posted this on my Insta story the other week. Yeah. And I was kind of taking the piss out of myself for it, but my scales shattered. I saw, I saw yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. And I kind of put it up like, oh, you know, do your scales talk to you like mine do? But yeah. really what happened was they're kind of like a glass top of the scale. And they used to sit next to my toilet. Yep. And like I'd often just like if I was feeling a little bit heavier, jump on just for reference. Or if I'm feeling and looking pretty lean, I jump on yep. for reference to see just what my weight, mm-hmm. um, my relationship with weight and gravity was, right? Yep. Basically <laughs> what that weight is. And I'd, I'd jump on and have a look. And this one morning I jumped on. I was like, oh, a little bit heavy there, big boy. Jumped off the scales. And I do it all the time, but they're just never broken before. I kicked the end of them by accident. Okay, yeah. And it hit the toilet bowl, but this time it just fucking shattered. And I was like, holy fuck, I'm glad that didn't happen while I was fucking standing on there. Because that would have made me feel really good about myself. (laughs) But probably the best thing that's happened is not having them. Because like we were talking about before, you you can get so attached with Mm -hmm. the weight that you start to like clinically assess everything. Mm -hmm. Where I was just like, well fuck, do I really need them? Like, my goals aren't weight dependent. Exactly right. Like, I know, I know that I shouldn't be too heavy if I'm going to run marathons because mm-hmm. it's not going to be great on my joints. But I know if I can feel that or not. Yeah. So it's just like, well, you know, if I look if I look in the mirror and I can see physical change in my body, I know things are going right. If I feel good when I'm training, I know I'm eating well. And it's just simplifying that process. Mm. So there's so much to be said for it. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about the running. and. Yep. You said you started to actually, you know, before we talk about the running, let's talk about Vegas because that seems to be a pinnacle moment. Yeah. Yeah, Like it seems to be something that stemmed off into all of the growth and Mm -hmm. and knowledge and education that you've been able to bring into this next phase of training. I guess share with people like what the experience was. Like if, if anyone doesn't know the ultimate fighter, it's it's really responsible for the growth of the UFC. Pretty much saved the UFC. A hundred percent. And you can watch a documentary on youtube where dana white talks about um the ufc and the growth of it and the fatita brothers Mm -hmm. and the ultimate fight is a big part of that it's a show where basically you put a whole bunch of people who want to secure professional contracts in the ufc in a house together 
to fight and you better believe there's some fucking fireworks and there's some theatrics because that's the nature of that game but ultimately it's getting the opportunity to be coached by two of the best yep and gain their knowledge the experience the experience of their team you being one mm-hmm. of those people who was over there in camp Volkanovski so talk to us about how that opportunity yeah. came up and what it was like so it came up by the opportunity first came up with the opportunity that me and who was it me Joe and Alex we were able to go over a week earlier than predicted for Brad Riddell's fight because he was lined up to fight Gregor Gillespie a week before Volko was meant to fight Ortega for the first time and then, so, we went over there the week earlier. We had a few issues getting over there with, like, the papers and everything. But, bit of a delay. We got there. Great timing. I got my first ever first car, my first ever first class flight. So, we got to go to Vegas first class, which was absolutely unreal. And then, we just started off. We got to the, where did we go? We went straight to... LA, I think, then LA to Vegas. We hit down there. Then we saw all the boys in that. We went straight to the PI. And then how the systems worked, they had a athlete's hotel, which you had to have a negative COVID test, and you had to be on fight week to get there. And to come back in for anyone else, you needed to have a negative COVID test so you could be in the athlete's bubble. And then so we were in the public hotel, which was directly across the road from there. And then as we jumped across into the athlete's bubble, I think we've done two COVID tests at this point. So like, oh, sweet, we're all in the clear. And then it was one night, it was me, who was it? it was me, Geordie, Mike Engrove, and someone else, but I can't remember who. And we'll, it was Brad Riddell just waiting that Friday morning because it's obviously it's Sunday here, the fights, but Saturday yeah. night over there. So Brad weighed in with Geordie, took him to the Wayans. He weighed in. Friday morning, this was a Friday night, so we're training rolling. Then Shane Young comes in, like opens up our training room and that, and he and he's in his towel, which was like weird enough at first. And he's like, oh, he's like, what are you doing, boys? Like, what is? I like, haven't you heard the news? And like, what are you talking about? It's like, oh, he's like, oh, Volko's got COVID. We got to go. They want us each in our own separate rooms. And we're like, oh, bullshit. And he's like, I'm dead set. So we go to the room, go on the WhatsApp group. Volko gives us a message. Hey, boys, sorry. Yeah, it seems I've got COVID. There's Two, I think he said three more of us that got it, but we weren't sure who at that point. Okay. And then, so I was in, it was sort of a room here, bedroom there, bedroom there on either side of the living room in the middle. And so it was like me and Joe, Volker had his own one, two coached fighter, two fighters, this one sort of thing, mm. split up like that. And then, so we got told that, then I was just chilling in my room like, fuck. And I was like, man, I remember specifically before I went over there, mum and dad were like, you got to be careful because with your travel insurance, it's not covering COVID. So if you go to hospital for any medical related bills due to COVID or anything, um, you're not covered whatsoever. And they're like, so just be aware. I'm like, nah, don't worry. It'll be sweet sort of thing. Like an hour later, I get Valkyrie's like, yeah, sorry, Geordie Colby, you've got COVID sort of thing. I was like, so I was actually more worried about how I was going to tell mom and dad. I'm like, yeah, you know how you said the one thing you didn't want to happen to happen when I was overseas in Vegas? Well, that happened. So <laughs> we had that whole kerfuffle. Then um, what happened was Volko needed to test negative to return home because to fly international at that point, you needed a negative PCR test. But the problem with Volko, because he had a harsh sort of reaction to COVID, he was going to test positive for X amount of weeks after. Like, they weren't sure two or three. Because how it might, it probably would have changed now. But what we got told back then is you had 
10 days from when you tested positive was your sort of contagious period. But after the 10 days from when you tested positive, you might still pop um, positive on a test, but you no longer have enough viral load to share it and actually transmit it sort of Mm. thing. So there's no case of transmissions after X amount of time. Problem with that though, for us to fly back, we needed the negative test result. So Joe, Joe ended up cornering Shane and Jamie for their fight. So they flew back on a Sunday. And we are meant to fly back, I think, the following week. But we are just stuck in Vegas waiting to see when we are going to get the negatives. For sure. And then we thought, even though Volker had a severe case, like maybe a month or two turnaround. So we calculated the dates and we are like, fuck, man, we gotta, we might not leave here for a week or two. Then you got two-week quarantine back at home. We might only have six weeks. So I'm like, if you want, we can sort of stick together here. We'll go home, quarantine together, and just do a training camp first two weeks. So then you're starting. It's not four weeks of no training off the yeah. last two weeks, first two weeks of camp, you're stuck in a hotel by yourself. So we're doing that, and then obviously enjoying all the fun stuff in Vegas and stuff like that, living it up as best as you can as 21 in Vegas sort of thing with a world champ. And then I remember we came out of a hallway and Volk was like, I've got some news. And I was like, oh, what's that? He's like, they want me to do the ultimate fighter. I was like, oh, shit. So what do you say? He's like, oh, I've already said yes and agreed to it. I was like, awesome. Then That's mad. unlucky for Joe... He did the two-week quarantine, spent two days at home, and had to fly straight back. So he would have been yeah, just as he good. Sta- been he would have been just as good staying over with us. But obviously, the opportunity came out of nowhere. And then we were just chatting guys and that sort of thing. Then we obviously had Frank Hickman over there. He was a wrestling guy. We bring Woody He's over. He's a Tiger Muay Thai guy, isn't he? Yeah. Now they have got their own gym. Oh, it's like Bento Muay Thai or something like that. Okay. They've yeah, they separated, opened up their own gym now. Yeah. So good on them for that. And then we had Woody come over from Thailand. He's a big, jacked S&C guy. And then um, <coughs> we're like, what about Jiu-Jitsu? And then Volk was like, I might just message Craig Jones. So then he messaged Craig there to Craig Jones. And then, yeah, pretty much the experience over there, what was the best way I could sum it up to how it worked is I'll just have to give you a day. Like an average day was we'd wake up, we'd go to the UFC Apex because we trained the boys 10 to 12 then four yep. till six. So we had two sessions. So we'd get there around 8.30. Then it was me, Joe, Volko, Frank Hickman, and Craig Jones will either like roll in hidden pads and MMA sparring. So we've got a world champ, world-renowned coach, one of the best grapplers in the world, like Tiger Muay Thai, head wrestling coach, slash MMA pad holder, SNC coach. So just like the level of guys I train That's with in the morning. Guys who come in from a show. I jump in with a show with them boys, sort of be a body, do the drills, train with them. Go do another session after that at the PI. Then at the PI, what would happen is that's how I got into the breath work and that because they do recovery. They had the sauna, the cold plunge, the spas and everything. So yeah. then it was getting used to the hot, the colds. It was doing the breathing. So everything came together for this one trip. And it was um, the best way to explain it was the level of growth I could see from when I first left for Vegas to when I came back to the gym was something like I've never experienced before. Like everything, it sort of gave me a new outlook. I'm like, even training with the boys who are on the show, because I fight at 135 and the show's at 135, being able to keep up and do fairly well against like most of the boys on the show, hold my own and that when I was out of sort of like, obviously partying, like out of shape and stuff like that, I got a bit heavy and stuff, but still able to hold my own, do well, not have anyone put it over me or anything like that. It was a really cool, humbling experience. Like, man, like, these guys are 10, 12 fights into their pro career, and I'm hanging with them just fine sort of thing. That's awesome. And then it's obviously reflective. Like, well, obviously, realistic, you should be. You train with 
pretty much the number two, number one pound for pound guy in the world sort of thing. Came yeah. back home, and then it was just about implementing all the changes that um, I found in Vegas and implementing to home lifestyle. So I brought my own sauna tent, which I can now use. I does a lot more cold stuff. I've scheduled out time and day to focus on like meditation, or even if it's not meditation, just breathing techniques, like even a few sort of ways um, how. Craig and that would study tape, study footage, and they would try and pick their brains through everything. Nutrition advice from being stuck with Geordie when we both had COVID. Like, trying to pick the brains of so many great minds around me and just try and take little bits from all of them was sort of like exponential for my growth sort of thing, I find. That's so mad, man. Like, I think any athlete craves that opportunity mm-hmm. to get into a zone where you're surrounded by championship caliber coaches and athletes and... Yep. And for you too, almost like size up the competition a little bit, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly like that, right. That's the division in the UFC that I'm coming for eventually. Yeah. Which at the moment is a fucking stacked, stacked division. division. Like yeah. everything between, for me, everything between 135 to 180. Yep. 185, yep. sorry, is just stacked. stacked. Yeah. Like there's so many guys who could be champs. Mm-hmm. And usually if it wasn't for that champion, there's like... Like, Volko's, like, the clear-cut guy in featherweight. Yep. Like, there's no one else. If you look at um, 170 with Usman, clear like, clear-cut. Yep. But everything else, like, even Izzy. Izzy's yep. pretty clear-cut in the middleweight division. But everything else is so tight and so close. It's crazy. But that's such a good experience for you. So that seemed to change and open up a lot of opportunity mm-hmm. for you in terms of how you made the most of your training. You were saying that running something you started to do in, in between sessions, and yep. obviously that Vegas heat is different. Yeah, it doesn't have the humidity that we do. It's very dry. What's the altitude like there? Oh, um, I'm new, I, I looked it up at one point, and I think it's sort of semi-high. It's it's obviously more than us because we're at ocean level. Yeah, but I couldn't give you a number off my te- head. I could say something, but I'm probably fairly wrong. So I just won't. Fairly wrong. Yeah. But that. Dryness factor was a good point because I remember it was before Donald Cerrone was coming in one morning session to roll with us and the boys sort of thing. And I forgot about it. And so I ended up doing like a 16K run around in Vegas sort of thing. And I remember 2Ks in, like it was the worst dry mouth I've ever had in my life. Mm. I'm talking like I finished, I like the white... Like, it was yeah. disgusting. Like, I couldn't drink enough water sort of thing. Podcast mouth, bro. Exactly right. And then I finished that run, and uh, then that was the longest run I did in ages, and I wasn't even that fit at that point, like, compared to where I normally sit now for fitness level. And I was like, man, if I can just run, like, I think it was, like, 5'10", 5'20s or something like that, and, like, 2 o'clock in the Arvo and, like, a Vegas desert sort of thing, I'm like, I'm pretty sure I could probably run further back home as long as I sure. pace myself correctly and that sort of And that's sort of what led to the interest of running was I pretty much ran in like a terrible environment. It was just dry mm. heat with when I was out of shape. And I'm like, man, if I can do stuff like this when I'm like this, if I'm fit back home, I get like a good camel pack and like good yeah. set of beats or something. Like I reckon I could run for ages. I think that's how it led to it. I'll have a good test, man, because I started marrow prep today. So I've got 14 oh, nice. weeks until the next one. Mm-hmm. And a few things I want to do a little bit differently with my training, actually less long runs, which people go, fuck, that doesn't make sense. But focusing more on total volume of the week and yep. being a little bit more selective when I do my long runs so I'm peaking at the right time but I'm headed to Port Douglas at the end of this month so on the 28th God willing touch wood no flights are cancelled <laughs> yeah, I get there fingers crossed 
I'll be there for eight days. And, you know, when you're at the top of Australia, the top of Queensland, like it's hot. And I'm really interested to see how my run fitness translates because I'll train the week that I'm there. I've got like a deload week, so it's more like Mm -hmm. 10s and like cruisy Ks. But when you train in that heat, it's different. Definitely. It's so different. The heart rate just elevates a little bit more. Like you said, you get a little drier in the mouth. It's harder to breathe in that really like, it's almost thick air. Yeah, it's a good way to put it, yeah. And it tests my lungs a little bit more. Like I feel like it takes a little more for my lungs to open up. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to take the camel pack. Yeah, definitely. Some water on someone like July. Yeah. Man, I'll tell you what, if I see some crocs, I don't think the, um, the fatigue will help. <laughs> it'll change too much man you start fucking moving oh exactly right i think back. it'll be cool to see too how you feel coming back though yeah because obviously you're gonna with your runs you're gonna do something like that heat stuff we talked about we're gonna get adapted and like that was a big thing for me too was like it was just like i said before i was like getting used to the heat then coming back and you're just so much more accustomed to it same sure. thing if people go to thailand for fight camps it's you're training in 100 percent humidity it doesn't drop below like 29 it's like 35 middle of a day then you yeah. come back and you're like man you can really just perform so it's cool to see how much like what's well, more just how quickly your body adapts and everything like that and like where i wanted to go this was a bit of like a backtrack but on the warm-up episode but how we're talking about how the people from the tribes and everything if you bring one of them to here and you're strapping up to all the equipment and that well you could see like all right how does he respond to like you said all this process for you like how, how honestly like what do you think his like dopamine or sugar levels and like endorphins would be if you give him like a see like some instagram wave you like dessert cakes or something like that mm. like who knows the rush would be off a chart sort of thing then you give him like social media device the phone you like all right you have to stay inside for this amount of time you can't instead of waking up with a sun you might stay up drinking till 2 or 3 a.m and you can almost see how the same person could become the sort of so the healthy people the unhealthy people who went over them healthy ones they could swap roles purely just from the situation and the environment around them it's it's so interesting to me that we've i feel like as as time goes on technology is supposed to aid us and i always say i'm super grateful for tech Mm -hmm. i'm super grateful for social because it allows me to do this yeah exactly like you know would there be a world where i'm doing this Maybe not. Maybe maybe it would have been conversations around the fireplace. Fire, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It would have been the guy that goes from town to town. Yeah, tell the stories. To start a chat. Yeah. <laughs> but the really interesting thing is, I feel like as we're supposed to be advancing, we're actually getting further away from what we need to figure out. And it's like, how do we mm. get back to those basics? And I was having this conversation with my mate on Thursday. We went for a trot and we were talking about I think I touched on this before, how really at the core, like we're supposed to be able to run, we're supposed yep. to be able to, to do all these athletic and endurance-based endeavours. And it's not really that impressive. It's more so just impressive because of what modern society's become. Of averages almost. Yeah. Yep. But we were speaking about how this technology, like because it's become like we've become so attached and i'm i'm just as bad like i'm I'm speaking righteously here but i'm just as bad <laughs> like just as hard for me to put my phone mm-hmm. down or not to grab it first thing in the morning or not yep. to grab it just before bed because there's always that stimulation awaiting you like there's that dopamine One release scroll away exactly so i try to put it away more but i said to my mate i said sometimes i forget that like 
you know, I've got pretty good relative fitness compared to the average person. Like I can run a half marathon at, at will. Like mm-hmm. my body's pretty well up to 21 Ks prepared to run at any day all the time. And I sometimes think far out, I've got to put that to use while I've got it. Like while we're young and while we're fit yeah. and athletic, like the ability to go hike in the mountains or to go hit a trail, I don't do enough of that shit. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of one of my goals for this year is to explore and adventure a little bit more with the health that I've got. Mm-hmm. Because I'm like, far out, man. Like, you know, we train really hard and, and you more so than me. Um, I'm more of the casual athlete, the weekend warrior. <laughs> but I want to use that to my advantage. Mm-hmm. Like I want to go and do the things that hopefully I can still do as I get a little bit older, but naturally, you know, time... And, and that's another thing. Why do we put age? Like, why is age a barrier for factor fitness? sort of thing, hey. I yeah. said it on a podcast. I had my mate Taku on the yep. other day. And we were talking about, um, like, how there's this guy, Rich Roll. I don't know if you've ever heard of Rich. He's a vegan ultraman, right? But he was in his 30s, overweight, alcoholic, working as a corporate lawyer. Realized that he needed to change. Like, he had a little heart scare and mm-hmm. basically went the other way, Right turned into a, an ultra runner doing some of the baddest ultra races on the planet and just probably regarded as one of the fittest dudes getting around right and he was on tim ferris's podcast yep. and tim said there's a, a tweet that you put up in 2018 that i think sums you up really well and i want to read it to intro you on the show and the tweet was on the eve of his 52nd birthday right and he's written at the age of 42 i reached my peak level of fitness at 43, I wrote my first book. At 44, I started a podcast. At 30, I thought my life was over. At 52, I realized it's just begun. Far out. And that for me was so powerful because I think at any given time, with dedication and self-education, you can change your life. Definitely, man. 100%. You have the skills. You have what you need within you to go out and get fit to go out and change your eating habits, to remove the bad habits and introduce Mm -hmm. new healthy ones. And I'm interested as, you know, someone who's a professional athlete, who's in a sport that is so unforgiving when it comes to injury, is the want to like go and do these things. Like I can imagine it would be hard at times. Like if you want to go to a trail run, in the back of your head, you're thinking, can I really afford to injure myself here? Like how does that weigh on your mind? Um, it's funny you mentioned that actually, cause I recently, well, yesterday actually, I went body for bodyboarding for the first time in years almost, and it was purely one of the thing, one of them things where I was like, man, like I purely stopped it because timing and scheduling wise, and like simple as it sounds, like energy conservation sort of thing. Like yeah. it was really hard for me to find time in between sessions to do it sort of thing. When I was back in high school, I could, I could go during the day and stuff like that, and. In my head, I kept telling myself, I was like, oh, you got to watch out for injuries and risk and that sort of thing. I'm like, yeah, but like, as much as um, that is true sort of thing, I can always be safe and moderate. So when I went out yesterday, like, there's a few waves around. Obviously, I know my skill level is nowhere near where it's at to be able to sort of do all this cool stuff and that. But I can still go out there, still have fun and still be safe with it sort of thing. And then I only I went out with my mate. He lost his flipper, actually. So we only had like 45 minutes out there, actually. And he was going to be this real good guy. I'm going to rub it into him, too. But he's not. It was Connor, I think. You know him. He said he got his Connor's grad. 
Had his yeah, hip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I went out with him yesterday. Yeah, I met him when he broke his, his hip. hip. Yeah, he was telling me hospital, about that actually. And I yeah. was hooked up to a drip. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Funny small world, eh? And yeah, well, he's meant to be this prone. He lost his flipper and that. So I had to come in and save him, sort of, not really. Yeah. But then I got out and like for the whole rest of the day, I'm like, I can't believe I've been putting this off so much purely because the off 1% chance that something might happen. Or, but the enjoyment I got is completely outweighed it. I'm like, man, I could do my natural runs. I could do my normal training schedule. I've broke, I've broken my back in training, but like I broke yeah. my back in training before sort of thing. I've had freak injuries and they happen and like as cliche as it sounds like you're only one badge walking across the street and not looking the right way and i think if i before i was really all about okay i need to solely focus on the fighting everything has to be done i'm still that way but i'm allowing myself to seek enjoyments in other avenues like i'm doing the hikes i'm doing trying to find waterfalls doing things that aren't they're not free from risk but you can still mitigate them. Whereas before, I was sort of trying to isolate like a hermit. I'm like, no, nah, I'm solely for this fighting sort of thing. And I think some people get in tr- that trap of whatever they want to do. They want to be solely focused on the one thing. Whereas sure. I found if you had the, a few different outlets, like yesterday, after I finished bodyboard, I only caught a couple of waves. I was like, man, I was running the high for the rest of the day. I couldn't wait to do it again. Like, you know, it's like you go swim in a waterfall. It's nothing like you go for a trail run. You might even fall over a rail your ankle or something. You shake it out, you're fine. It's just something about you got to sort of know that like you said with the age thing like you only get sort of limited time here so you might as well try and do like as much fun as you can bro it's something i've been battling with so much because you know like for me the the hard thing the first two years of running the marathons was i was the guy who put my hand up and said i'm going to do this for the cf community Mm -hmm. and then because my face was attached to the event it was like well if that motherfucker doesn't run, why are the rest of us running? Yeah. Like, and you know, I was like, I've got, I've got to be the one that's there to raise the money. Like mm-hmm. the corporate sponsors want to see, like if a corporate sponsor is giving us 20 grand or 15 grand, they want to see me run. Cause yep. that's, what's going to get on the, on the news story. I'm the guy who's supposed to stand there and talk Almost about it on sunrise. It, yeah. yeah. And so I understand that. And the first two years that was really important. And then I almost put so many things off though because I was so scared mm-hmm. of like injuring myself or doing anything that was outside of the realm of my program where, you know, funny you say you went bodyboarding yesterday. Yep. I went for a surf. Oh, nice. Yeah. And I used to have a board, never really learned. I watched Kelly Slater fucking tear it up yep. at the Bells Beach Pro a couple of years back and thought, yeah, I reckon I'll give that a crack. Wasn't as good as Kelly. Mm-hmm surprisingly shocker eh? (laughs) and then yesterday my mom's partner he surfs pretty much every day yeah and i said i want to get in a surf and he said well i'll give you my my seven six my mouth soft top and just like come out for me i'll give you a little lesson and man i had a fucking blast i had Mm -hmm. such a good time like i love being in the salt water i love being out in, in nature in the sun and i was out in the water for an hour 45 and I had the best time, like not much success, but the best time. Honestly, right? yeah, yeah. And I thought, why have I put this off for so long? Because I've been scared of hurting myself or mm-hmm. I've been scared of like, not scared of, but like deterred because, well, the main priority is I get out and I do my run. Yeah. But like, really, like if I want to go for a surf one day, isn't that why I'm running? To be healthy, to be able mm-hmm. to enjoy life, to get the most out of life. Yeah, exactly Like, right. if it starts to limit you, it's different for you. Like, it's a career, it's yep. an athletic mm-hmm. endeavor. There's a real goal attached to it. But for me, I'm not trying to be a pro runner. 
So I'm like, you know, if it starts to take away from the enjoyment or the maximized um, fun and adventure of life, then it's not worth it. Exactly. It's so it's the like most detrimental. A hundred percent. So I've got this board now and I'm borrowing his for a while until I get the hang of it. And so it's sitting in my car, which looks great because people go, this guy surfs. <laughs> um, so, you know, I'm thinking about just bolting it to the roof of the car and just driving around. So I look like I'm the real deal. Full-time surfer. Yeah. But I'm like, I've got it in the car. So I'm like, if I go for a 10K run at 6am, by seven o'clock I'm done and I've had a coffee just take it out in the water for half an hour, 45 minutes, have a surf, and then I'm still, like, back home before 8, mm-hmm. ready to attack the day. So I'm like, for me, I'm like, I just want to do more of that and adventure a little bit more year and use more this year and use the health that I've got to my advantage. Mm. And I'm like, we just don't do that shit enough. Yeah, exactly. I was like, you were saying with that guy how he had that sort of life-scaring sort of heart problem and then you yeah. have to switch it around same you see that with guys like goggins and all of them sort of things and a lot of people get to that path where they're like all right i'm either going down this path this is like for crossroads i'm either gonna a keep continuing to do it or b i'm gonna have to do a 180 it's going to be uncomfortable there's going to be a lot of challenges setback and everything but the person going to come out on the other side is going to be a completely new different version that you couldn't sort of even imagine if you kept going down that sort of similar path whereas you just create them bad habits and that's the end of the day it's pretty much all it is it's just them habits just trying to and that's what i want to just like touch on is how people think something is baked as nutritional getting fit and healthy they think it's like oh man if they something as simple as you might order uber eats three four times a week whatever you want cut it down to twice a week mm. do that and make set a non-negotiable or i'm going to cook myself Dinner and lunch once a week at least. Or I'm going to go twice. Or I might try and meal prep. And you start with these little small goals. Whereas I find I have mates in that. Like, because obviously I'm the sort of inverse circles. I'm the in shape guy who trains full time. Like, oh, can you give me some advice to this and that? And the biggest advice I can give is just start small and start with the sort of um, changes that you're going to be able to stick to in that. Like, if you try and do a yeah. 180 like you see they're like oh i'm gonna do this eight week challenge what happens after most people do an eight week challenge two weeks Massive later back to where fucking, they started sort it's of a thing. yo-yo bro exactly like it's right like it's straight back up to where they were mm-hmm. even worse sometimes because yeah. it's the fucking ultimate rebound the one thing that i've i've started to really understand and come to terms with is if it ain't sustainable it ain't gonna happen mm-hmm. and i try to like apply that to everything i do now like, even this year, when I sat down to write my goals for the year, it was like, okay, obviously, if you start to get too comfortable, you know whether you're cheating yourself. Like, you, if you yeah. look yourself in the mirror, you know whether you're being lazy or you're cheating mm-hmm. yourself. But it has to be sustainable. Like, if I said I'm going to have 300 podcast episodes this year, and then I'm like, well, it's going to be really hard for me to get 300 guests that are lined up. Mm-hmm. But I was like... I want to release one a week. I'm going to have 50 plus guests this year. And I know that I've got to be working towards that. I feel like you've got to write that shit down. Like write your goals down and work towards exactly it. Exactly right. Stay accountable to them. Like one thing that I've, I find is the most important, which is lacked or missed by a lot of people, is self-education. Mm. Because the more you self-educate, the more reliable you are. And the more reliable and accountable you are to yourself. Like if you understand basic principles... Like some people go, oh, you know, like what's a healthy meal? We'll start to learn to cook. And I guarantee if you start to learn to cook and 
you start to see what goes into food you go oh man like there's a lot of olive oil in this dish yeah like holy shit that's like 60 grams of fat just in what i've put in in oil yeah i need to reconsider like how i cook this Mm -hmm. you start to become intelligent with it like you don't know until you go out and try things Mm -hmm. the key is just trying like and and when you try you figure out whether it's right or wrong for you whether you could do things different and that's kind of like my basis of the last two years i just tried a bunch of things and kind of found things Mm -hmm. that work things that didn't if it didn't, it's like, okay, do I want to have a crack at this or is it not right for me? It's it's just learning. It's self-education. It's so yeah. important. I think a big thing is like people just need to embrace their fuck-up sort of thing. Like Definitely. if you stuff something up, like don't be that guy who like – I find if people screw something up and they try to bury it or get away from it, it's almost like that skeleton in your clothes is going to eat you alive or if people mm. bring it up, it's going to be used something against you. I feel like if you do something stupid – Admit to it, own up to it sort of thing, and then be on with it. As long as you're learning from it, like, it's perfectly fine. Like, there's a common saying in, um, like, MMA. It's like, you lose or you learn sort of thing. Yeah. And it's, I don't know what it is. Win or you learn. Yeah, win or you learn. Don't lose or learn. That's terrible advice. Yeah. Yeah, win or learn. But, like, with my loss in Queensland, where what happened was I was a bit out of shape. I wasn't, like, almost like you said, I wasn't almost cheating myself, but I couldn't look myself in the mirror and be like, all right, I'm 100% on the correct path here and I'm sweet. I wasn't doing that sort of thing. Yeah. Whereas now I can wake up pretty much every day. Obviously, you got to be honest with yourself. So some days, you know, some days I fuck up. Some days I don't feel like I, I'm like, fuck, I maybe could have pushed in that session or I shouldn't have eaten that. I should have done this, shouldn't have that. But as long as you're like owning up to it every day, you're going to see the improvements. Then you might, when you first start any journey, what it is, if you're so afraid of that failure and that sort of, that embarrassment of screwing up, you're just never going to get where you need to be. You almost need to embrace. You need to be able to like look yourself in the mirror, be honest and be like, all right, today I fucked up because this, this, this. Tomorrow I'm going to use it as almost motivation to feel like if I do something wrong in like something as simple as I might move out to my left in the sparring session, I might drop my left hand, I cut up a big right hand and I'm like, fuck man, it's going to eat me alive for the next two hours or so. But the next time I'm sparring, you can be damn sure that left hand staying up when I'm yeah. circling to my right sort of thing. It's trying to find things like that and don't sort of be too worried and too stressed with yourself if you do fuck up because it's going to happen, but it's just about moving on from them and learning from them. Beautiful point, man. I was watching a video this morning before I got here. A guy that, one of my favorite guys to follow on Instagram for his simplicity, one of my favorite guys to listen to. I haven't read his books yet. They're actually all on my list though mm-hmm. for this year. Jocko Willink. He's good. One of his main principles, take ownership. Mm-hmm. And in this video this morning, he spoke about taking ownership, right? And he said quite often, he said, in 99% of cases, a result that didn't meet your expectation is your fault. Take ownership mm-hmm. for it. Own up to it. Learn from it. Know what you can do better. In the 1% of cases where the result was out of your control, and he said, this guy messaged me. He's like, you know, I want to take ownership, but my girlfriend left me. This is why there's no plausible reason. There was, he gave all these reasons why it couldn't have been his fault. And he yep. said, maybe this is that 1%. But the one thing you can take ownership of 100% of the time is how you respond. Yeah. And I think that's the key. It's like, if you fuck up, how are you going to respond? If you plan to run a marathon and at 35 Ks you blow up and you pull out, Okay, how do I respond? Do I run away from that or do I own up to it? One thing I've got to own up to 
I'll say it publicly right now. <laughs> okay. The fuck out of me. Yeah. Every day, pretty much every day, I either run or walk past the lighthouse in Wollongong. Now, last year, I ran my Mara on October 16th, and there were plans on the 12th of December to run 100 laps of the lighthouse loop, which is approximately 64 kilometers, mm-hmm. with one of my mates. Now, COVID meant that the date that we planned to do this on the 12th of December clashed then with the change date of Melbourne Marathon, which my mate was planned and booked to run for mm-hmm. Nike. Event got cancelled. I'd been pretty crook, admittedly. Like, I'll give myself some yeah. some grace there. Like, I'd had a pretty bad go on the marathon day with my lungs, and my lungs have been bleeding for months. And, yeah. You know, so I needed to do a bit of recovery. So I was like, okay, it's probably not a good idea if I try to run this. Mm-hmm. But every day since I've kind of walked or run past that lighthouse and been like, man, until I do this, I don't think I'm going to feel that good about walking past this every day. I must give you a chip in your shoulder. 100%. And I'm like, I know it's something I want to tick off. Mm-hmm. I know it's something that would present a real challenge because of the, la- the nature of the um, consistent looping. Like 100 laps becomes monotonous. Yeah. After like 20 laps, you're like fucking 80 more of these bastards. Mm -hmm. Like that mental challenge would be super present. There's also some elevation. It's also 64 Ks approximately. It's a long run. A lot of challenges Mm -hmm. in there. But I'm like, I need to take ownership for the fact that regardless of whether my health was out of my control, how do I respond? Yeah. Do I run away from the challenge or do I own up and take it on? Mm -hmm. So this year, it's something I want to own up and take on. And I think it's something that I want to do not so much for the um, gratification of those around me, those following on. It's something I'll do to to add to the charity. Mm -hmm. It's 100% something I'll do to add to the charity and raise more money. But I think it's something I'll just, I'll know when I'm preparing for it, but off a whim, I'll just kind of let people know. Mm -hmm. I don't want to take the focus off my main event because that's the thing that gets the media coverage Mm -hmm. for our fundraising. But I think it's something that I'll be, I know it's something I'll be owning up to this year and taking ownership of because I go past there every day and we spoke about being able to look yourself in the mirror and like the man that's staring back at you, Mm -hmm. the man standing back at me says, you fucking cheeky fucker. (laughs) You ain't running from that. Yeah. You should be running around it. So that's one of the things for me this year. And I love that point. Just like, it's how you respond. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not always going to be in your control. Sometimes you'll fuck up. Sometimes you'll miss a session. But if you wake up, like one thing I used to do, I used to be terrible for it, right? And I still battle with it to a degree. If I'm trying to eat pretty clean, say it's a Sunday, I'm trying to eat pretty clean. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, I'm not gonna have a cheat meal today. But I wake up, I eat a little bit of something too shitty. I start to feel a bit shit. I've got this bad habit of going, well, instead of just owning up and going, okay, well, the next meal, I'm gonna gonna be good. Back on track. I'm gonna eat a bit cleaner back on Mm -hmm. track. I just fucking binge for the rest of the day. Yeah. If I fucked up on a Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Saturday. Sunday, yep. follow suit. It's not taking ownership for how I respond. Mm-hmm. And that's so important in professional sport, um, for everyday life. There's so many opportunities you have to do that. We just don't do it enough. Exactly. And it seems like everybody, well, not sure if it's everybody, there's a large majority of people just find it easy just to play the blame game sort of thing. Like, oh, yeah. this went wrong. Yeah, oh, yeah, my boss had 
you had a go at me for this. Oh, it wasn't my fault. It was old mate over there who screwed up for this sort of thing. Whereas, Especially when you got a team. Exactly right. So that's what I like about the fighting with it being... An, that's why I used to play footy. I, I was all right. I was a much better defender than I was attacker. Like, anyone who knows me, like, bro, like, my coordination skills, if anything outside of my circle I can control is woeful like i trip over walking like yeah. i can't shoot hoops i can't play like um handball tennis like anything like that like i'm not very yeah. coordinated fighting i seem to have a knack for i might go all right at it but that's why i like the team thing and perfect situation is when i used to play footy is i used to play the center position so winger center i don't know whoever else is in there but then we used to say we'll get like a four and two overlap or even like a three and one overlap and then something would happen, they would get past me, and then I'd be that sort of angry that, not obviously we're young, I'm like, oh, I felt like my team would let me down, and that's one of the main drivers, whereas I didn't want to have that responsibility, I'm like, if I, that's why I like fighting, if I fuck up in a fight, I'm the one going to cop it, mm. obviously my coach and that, they won't be disappointed, but they, most, most of the time your coach is never disappointed if something goes wrong they're just more going off how you feel they they just want to see you perform at your best so if you don't perform at your best because you screw something up it's obviously they're not going to react sort yeah. of overly happy and joy to it sort of thing but that's what i think is so enticing about fighting to me is that i know when i'm purely out there there's all these people around me i'm like Sounds weird, but there's nobody else I can rely on pretty much besides my myself and the two guys I got in my corner. And there's something like so like sort of pure and like just it's so hard to explain, but there's just a different feeling you don't get where it's complete and utter trust in the two guys behind you and like complete and utter trust in yourself, but in also yeah. the team that you had around you because they're telling you all the things you need to hear during fight camp and that. And I think it's why when people start fighting, why you see old guys fight, it's so addictive, that experience. Like, man, when I went to the urban fight night in December, I was that G'd up to fight purely because I was like, just being in this environment, teams, there's just a different energy to it. And even, I guess, in high-level professional sports, with teams, there wouldn't be a lot of blame gaming. But there might still be. But then you go to sort of like a more everyday setting with like jobs or local teams, or even even friendship circles. How often do you see something go bad or something? And people turn on each other because it's easier to do that than sure. I often say. Sure. Oh, I thought I turned oh, my phone off. Look at this guy. It was full Connor too. Oh, was it? It was Connor. <laughs> Speak of a devil, you ruined the podcast, you dog. His ears are burning, eh? That's so good. Talk to me about. Like, obviously, like, career-wise now. Yep. Fight-wise, you're pro. Mm-hmm. You had a pro fight, which you performed really well in. We've had a very frustrating, like, 18 months, okay. yep. two years, where things aren't going to plan because mm-hmm. of COVID. Like, you were supposed to fight in Perth. Things got called off. It's obviously plans to get the next available fight when it happens. Yep. What do you want the rest of your year to look like? It, like, if everything goes to plan this year, how many more fights do we want to have by the end of 22? realistically i think four would be a good number yeah four i would say at least four hopefully five but going off how things have been playing out i think i will probably get four if i'm being honest hopefully looking at a date in march can't say anything yet then hopefully like a quick turnaround in april and then i just want to get active and be fighting like i'm 23 in june and there's even a few interviews in that ago where I'm like, I don't want to rush. I don't want to take my time. I'm happy sort of taking it slow. Don't get me wrong. I'm still happy to take it slow. Like, I don't want to be out there straight away sort of thing. But I know the level I'm at 
isn't sort of just reflective of like a one and fighter. Like I know my skill level. I know I know where I can. Yeah. I know in my head I used to think, oh, I have to. I want to be like fifteen and zero, like smash, beat every single body else in the world before I get into UFC. Whereas now I'm like, I still want to have that good. If you can say undefeated, that's great. But zeros realistically aren't that important, sort of thing. They can be for yeah. branding that sort of thing. I think boxing sort of tarnished it. But you look at most of the. MMA guys, a lot of them guys have a couple of sort of one, twos, and threes next to the name. And it's just part of a learning experience that comes along with it. But so realistically, I'm hoping for like a March. I want to collect a few belts. I just want to start getting my name out there because in like for next 23, like I want to be, I think in long term, realistically, like I want to be signed to a major promotion pretty much by 25, 26. Because then obviously when this age now, I know I'm still, I'm in decent shape and strength from that. But I know the guys I'm going to be fighting against, they're going to be in like sometimes around my same age, sometimes a bit older. They're going to have that experience advantage. They're going to be that sort of bigger frame. They're going to be them stronger guys. Yeah. And I think the biggest thing I need now is I just need fights and I just need to get that experience up. And I just need to keep constantly fighting, not so much to avoid ring rust, but just to sort of, I like to keep it focused. Because when I'm in a fight camp, everything changes like outside of fight camp i'm a bit more chill than that but in fight camp it's not i love fighting i love everything but a lot of the time i love who i become during a fight camp mm. like you learn so much like purely because you your diet is on point your sleep's on point you're saying no to excess distractions you're got 20 minutes here you might do a meditation session you might jump down on a foam roller you're so productive towards this end goal and you just realize how much more you can sort of put forwards to a goal sort of thing whereas instead of saying you might get home at say eight o'clock after a session be buggy you might just want to lay in bed and watch netflix netflix for an hour and a half sure. instead you might boom all right i have a hot hot cold showers jump on trigger balls stretch journal meditate go to bed wake up and it's sort of i find i do them things a lot more in camp than outside of camp but one of the good things is i've been in pretty much like a fire camp since like well, I got back from Vegas, had a fight lined up in July. I did a camp for that. That got through. Had that break, but then Volko fought. No, he was meant to, but something fell through. Then I was meant to fight in December, so I had another seven-week camp there that fell through. I was meant to have this one in February. So I've still been doing all the right things. Um, obviously, like these deload weeks, like these last two weeks since the fight got cancelled, I've been a bit more relaxed and that sort of thing. Yeah. Tomorrow, starts straight back up sort of thing. But, yeah, I'm just sort of more excited for what's to come and i think i'm going to be a lot more grateful for the actual chance and the experience to actually be around just fighting and just the lead up and everything because like best way i could explain it is like imagine you're a professional rugby league player and you get to train with your squad every single day you just get to do all the normal things you play your play games and everything but you never get to go out be in front of that live crowd have that energy have it televised have your fan friend family everybody watching you sort of thing so it's sort of it's been like that for me and it's made me really sort of like before i used to like oh i'm not too fussed with sort of making a big shoulder and everything but at the end of the day i'm like realistically like i'm putting in all this hard work if i want to make a sort of not a spectacle but get some hype around it make a shot make it exciting get people to come watch sort of make it like oh sweet what are we doing saturday or oh, colby's fighting over in sydney oh we'll get a mad crap it's gonna be like yeah. a good night out if i want to do something like that like the work you put in i think you should be able to do it and you will be able to reap the rewards from it sort of thing because like i was saying man like i've been 
pretty much training my ass off for like the last in, bro. 14 months sort of thing, just really pushing it. And I think just this next fight, whenever it popped up, I'm just going to be a lot more um, grateful and a lot more um, present in the whole experience. And that's honestly the main thing I'm excited for is just to get to go through, um, go through it all, feel it all again, sort of. Even shit like the weight cut, like I've even had to do a massive weight cut and most people hate the weight cuts. I'm honestly a bit excited. I'm like, I get to go to that place where I know not many people have been training their ass off for eight weeks. They haven't been dieting. They haven't sort of done all of these sacrifices. They're not sitting in a sauna. As unpleasant as shit as it sounds, it's almost like a sort of like gratification. You get like, oh, well, at least I know I'm doing everything. I'm putting the work. And that's sort of the main thing I've missed is where I've been able to sort of put all my eggs in the one basket and then whatever outcome is, let the outcome play out. Whereas with all these cancellations and shit like that, it's been like, oh, man, I'm heaps G'd up for a fight. Now it's cancelled. It's been sort of that up and down ride. So I'm sort of just... Fighting is obviously... I'm excited for what's to come in the next few years and that, but I'm more excited just to get back to consistently fighting and just be able to sort of show off my craft and what I've been working on. I love it, bro. It's so nice to hear you say that. And I guess to wrap up the show, right, there's there's a consistent theme to the end of every episode now, and mm-hmm. it's it's asking the guest, the guest one consistent question, and it's getting them to set one intention. The question I want to ask you is, what's your biggest fear right now? Biggest fear right now? My biggest fear right now is that the fighting journey does wouldn't turn out how I wanted it to turn out or how I thought it might turn out sort of thing. Not so much to do with performance-wise or anything, but like there's because there's so many tangibles. It's just in my head, I have this goal of, I'll, I'll be open to say, I want to get in the UFC, I want to make my run, I want to establish my name, I want to sort of build my brand and everything like that. I love the sport. And once I'm done with that, I want to yeah. go in and open my own gym and i want to sounds weird but i pretty much want to have like a nice little beachfront house train and own my own academy teach it like four or five hours a day live by the beach read books do all that sort of fun stuff and sort of live life and the biggest thing that i would have is that middle part of that ufc and that professional fighter if that didn't go how i wanted it to go to plan that would then affect my end goal yeah but i also think having that fear and you've got to be real with it, that fear is sometimes like the only thing that gets me out of the bed sometimes or gets me pushing like... Drives you. Exactly right. Like I'll wake up and I walk to set a training session, I'm like head down, like I'm not feeling the best. I look in the mirror, I'm like, I'm like, man, if you want to sort of live the life you want to live, you're going to have to fucking nut up and just shut up and just put in the work. Like look in the mirror, like do you think your opponent's... Like he probably is probably hurts just as much as me but in my head i tell myself i'm like he's out there probably killing twice as hard to work it at you like you need to put it in sort of thing so it's like a good fear but it's it's a rational fear it's not an irrational fear i think irrational fears are when people can do damage but it's a rational fear but it's a fear that i'm fairly open about and i actually like to have because like you said it gets you out of bed in the morning gets you chasing it it's that drive brother the one intention I want you to set, which mm-hmm. I probably know what it's going to be, but more so a, a goal for yourself to tick off, and it doesn't have to be um, super urgent. It can be something that's mm-hmm. that's pretty natural. It can be a day-to-day thing. It can be a long-term thing. But basically, when 
this or this whole podcast industry is very old fashioned and you know, people are doing VR telecommunication between Mars the and the Earth and the metaverse. <laughs> and um, you look back on this, yep. you know, you, you pull out the old the old podcast player, the old iPhone, and you listen back or you watch back. I want you to set yourself a goal that you can be accountable to. Mm-hmm. Okay. What's goal? It can be simple. It can be long term. Okay. It can be. It can be something that you feel like maybe. You wanted to tick off at one stage and kind of lost track of. Uh, what would be one? I'll, I'll come out and say I want it to. I want to be able to stick to the practice of sort of gratitude, but more gratitude journalist sort of thing. Because it's something I've done. I've done a fair bit of, but just because I've done a fair bit of doesn't mean I'm very successful at it. Like I'm a type, whereas I would do it for like. Um, might do it for a week or two and it feels good and everything but then i felt I'll, I'll be honest like a perfect example i bought a journal probably two or three weeks ago i only busted it open yesterday i wrote down what i was grateful for i didn't even do it this morning like so yeah. that's a perfect example like i can practice it i don't know i'm the type of guy who like i'm happy to sort of teach um not teach but i mean like preach and say these things do all these things but when it actually comes to putting pen to paper i'm almost hesitant like i almost i'm like oh I've done it. I, I've, I've it comes real. Exactly right. I'm like, fuck, okay. So I think it's more, not so much in the goals and that because goals, tacticals, like techniques and that, but it's more actually writing down like I'm grateful for my health. I'm grateful for my family. I'm grateful for my friends. I'm comfortable to like speak it out in that, but I'm not very comfortable sort of putting that pen to paper there. So I'll just sort of be a goal like it is. I want to overcome, be able to sort of, and almost get into that state where, like right now, if you were to say, oh, write down what's on your mind, I could give it to you, but realistically, it might only be like 80% of what's actually on my mind. Whereas I want to be at that place where I'm like, all right, here, here's 100% what's in my head, here's what's on the yeah, paper, here sure. you go sort of thing. So it's probably, yeah, like, I don't know what you say, like unlocking that key or something and sort of really be able to put that gratitude and sort of everything's up here out on not speaking to people but actually putting pen to paper with it sort of thing yeah there's a level of accountability and vulnerability yes, yeah. that comes mm-hmm. with that vulnerability that would be the biggest thing vulnerability yeah, i think yeah. I've, I've been trying it this year a little mm-hmm. bit and because um, it's uncomfortable yeah i was probably similar to you where um i started ripping into it as soon as i got my journal and i was really good for about two weeks and i got a little bit lazy last mm-hmm. week and um, I'm getting back in the habit of doing it daily. I feel fresher and freer in mm-hmm. the mind when I can put it on paper yeah. because I can almost come back to it if I want to. I don't have to sit with it mm. in my head. Exactly right. And it's kind of like what I was thinking or feeling. Um, I yeah. feel like it's really important. It's definitely a great tool for anyone. The other one is I, I found this helpful last year was just leaving voice memos on my phone. Mm, that's a good idea, actually. I found that was good. i heard a few people Cause, do Because you can eh? listen yeah. back, and then I sort of listened back and transcribed a bunch of that okay. in my journal. So hopefully yeah. when you listen back to this in 10 years, you've got a fucking fat-ass journal fat-ass full journal, of wisdom eh? yeah. and, and good things in their daily gratitude. Yeah. So well, I'll just add one thing on top of that. Like I'll be honest, like there is me being such a lover of reading and that like i'm currently reading the witches books like they're absolutely unreal like got in my car and i drive down to the beach yeah. to read it off this something like i love reading like not nice but i also do want to do like some kind of book or something like that damien so like i'm not sure it's like biography or anything but even if it's just a book like when i'm done like actually having a physical copy like his mma tactics blah 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 by colby thickness having something like that I where i can it. actually give it out to someone like yeah oh, i got some questions here 
Fucking how cool is that? Like, yeah, yeah, read my book sort of thing. 100%, bro. I'm 85% through writing mine. That's awesome. And it's a fucking good feeling. Yeah, that's It's one, one thing I've said on the podcast a few times. I actually recommend to most people, I think you should write a book on your life. And it doesn't need to be something that you publish or release. Mm-hmm. But for you to be able to go back and almost in real time assess and start to see some of the trends and patterns mm. that are consistent with you as a human being yeah. it's consistent with your neuroscience the way that you act when you feel a certain yeah, way yeah. the things that you do when faced with certain challenges you start to pick up trends and it allows you to tweak and change things in your life for the better so um brother it's it's always a pleasure when i'm chatting to you it's a pleasure to have had you on the show for round two um, one thing I want to say is that for every single person tuning into today's episode, you can go into the show description. There will be a bunch of tags and, and little links and things to make sure you can go across and follow this guy on social and get about that life that he's living to follow him and support him in his fight career. Um, for those of you who are locals, you know, Illawarra based, even Aussie based, just get around this man. It's so good to get around someone who's you know, one of those hometown heroes, one of those guys we want to follow and, and see to have a whole bunch of success. So wishing you all the best for your next fight, my man. No doubt you'll go out there and kill it and perform and um, looking forward to following on as the journey continues to unfold. Cheers, bro. I appreciate it. Best of luck with the upcoming 42Ks and the, what is it, 62Ks? 64 64K. You can't forget about that one now. That's it, bro. That's <laughs> it. It's a part of it. It's been yeah. documented. So thanks so much, guys. Take care. <laughs>